I'm still a whip guy. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who just applied to be Jason Kelsey's chest hair stylist, my brother, Mike. Hey, Jason, have your people. Call my people. I can do some you don't wonderful have any things for you. You already got a lot to work with. <laughs> I believe that we can make this a an all-time chest hair. You know, I'm talking Magnum PI chest hair up on the, the Mount Rushmore of chest hair designs. Yeah, yours is good. I've seen it. It is good. I'm not going to lie, Jason. He, he's The man has skill. Uh, in this area and so you know it, yeah sure you know get him in there he'll do some crazy stuff with it it'll be really good i'm gonna take you from nine to eleven right. <laughs> uh, this week's episode we'll discuss the latest free agent signing from the royals and what it means for the rest of the roster answer questions from the best and brightest of the weekly weirdos and discuss what role some of the royals prospects closest to the major leagues might have this season hey i, I don't know if you all know we're recording this sunday night the chiefs are going to the super bowl if you haven't heard the Kansas City Chiefs made it to the Super Bowl earlier today. So Mike, Mike's been celebrating all day. Even before the game started, he was celebrating. And so <laughs> I knew know, it was gonna happen. He's feeling good. He's feeling good. Uh so that's really nice. We also, before we really get started here, we have a big announcement to make. Mike, give me some sort of intro for this big announcement that we're making today. Bum bum bum. Royals Weekly is now a proud member of the Believe Sports Network. That's right. After being wooed by several networks in the past, Believe. we've decided to join the Believe Sports Network as their Kansas City Royals outlet. What does that mean for you, the listener? It doesn't mean much, honestly. You can still get Royals Weekly everywhere you normally do, but you may be able to find our content in other places as well, as Believe has distribution deals with many outlets and so on and so forth. So for us, it'll mean a larger community to joke around with, to talk to, to argue with, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so make sure you're subscribing on YouTube and following on the social medias you use as we'll continue to have certain things come out. We have another huge announcement coming out in a few weeks. So make sure you're following for that. But thank you to the Believe Sports Network for welcoming us and working with us to put out the best Royals content two bums from the sticks could ever hope uh, to put out there. We also need to mention that Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? For me, it's figuring out what the word Riz means. I think it's some kind of imported cheese. Oh, that makes a lot of sense because I heard some kids saying he was going to spread his Riz around the other day. I don't, yeah. Uh, you shouldn't be around conversations like that. Sec securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Knapp Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Knapp Family Wealth has been is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, Investment management, so you get all that money from out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Knapp Family Wealth at knappfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. The Royals continued their offseason splurge last week by signing veteran second baseman Adam Frazier to a one-year, $2 million deal with an $8.5 million mutual option for the next year and a $2.5 million buyout. So the contract is essentially a one-year, or I guess 
guaranteed contract of four and a half million dollars. A small sum for a guy who has a chance to be a one to two war player if he sort of gets back to what he was doing best. Mike, what are your thoughts on Frazier as a player before we dig into whether or not what it's going to mean for the roster? What do you think of just him as a player? I don't dislike the player for what he is, which is at this point at 32 years old, he's a good utility guy, probably a subpar everyday kind of guy. He had some good years in Pittsburgh. Last year he was with Baltimore and some people are like, well, he hit 13 home runs. That's Baltimore people. Okay. He's not hitting 13 home runs in Coffin. Um, and so, you know, I'm fine with it. One year deals that are cheap, I, I think are fine. The, the real head scratcher for me is what we're going to talk about here in a second. The, now the 26 man roster is really tight. We talked about it already being tight and now it's going to be really tight. So um, it'll be interesting. How about you? What are you thinking of Adam Frazier? I was stunned that they did it. I mean, they said they wanted a left-handed utility bat. I don't see Frazier as a real utility player much. He pretty much just plays second. I don't know that he can play short all that well at his age. Maybe he could play third if you're comfortable having a fairly weak arm third baseman out there for a day. Think of him like Nicky Lopez, I guess, but the defense isn't Nicky Lopez quality. No. Somebody uh, said that, but no. Yeah, yeah, the defense isn't quite that good. And the offense is better. I mean, the offense is better than Nicky Lopez. The offense probably is more consistently good than Nicky Lopez's because he probably strikes out a little bit less. He has better line drive more. numbers and things like that. Um, walks a little, maybe a little bit more. Um, the thing about Adam Frazier is he doesn't hit the ball very hard. He was second, the second percentile in hard hit rate last year, which means only 1%, one, roughly 2% of, of major league hitters hit worse than him in terms of hard hit rate. So he does not hit the ball very hard. And anytime you don't hit the ball very hard, that makes it really hard to get hits and be offensively productive. It means you have to have a super high line drive rate. You have to be in the sweet spot in terms of line drives constantly, or just get really luck, lucky with batted balls that shouldn't really fall as hits. And so... Frazier's going to have a really difficult time being offensively productive in Kauffman Stadium, especially, but just generally speaking. And so he's going to have to provide base running value. He's going to have to do things, the little things and stuff like that. It is always good to have depth and competition. And so, yeah, it's probably good that they're adding some kind of talent to the organization and a one year, essentially four and a half million dollar deal means nothing. I mean, that's, there are no bad one-year deals and there are really no bad one-year deals for less than $5 million. And so, you know, he's fine, you know, it's fine, but there are questions about what it means for the rest of the roster. So let's talk a little bit about those. Mike, now that Frazier has to be added and you're pretty certain he's going to get a 26 man roster spot because they're paying him four and a half million dollars and he's a free agent sign and he doesn't have options or anything. I don't think maybe he does, but even if he did, I don't know that it would matter because he's old enough to opt out of that. Um, what does this mean for Michael Massey, Nick Lofton, and Samad Taylor? That's the question we're really asking. How do you see this situation working out? Or I guess more to the point, how do you want the situation with Massey, Lofton, and Taylor to work out in terms of this roster? Well, I assumed that somebody would be traded. I assumed that they would be moving on from maybe a Massey or you know a Waters, even possibly a Melendez still. Uh, but... The longer we go, the more I just keep wondering if this means that Lofton, Massey, possibly both of them are starting in AAA. You know, that's that's kind of what I wonder that it's not like they couldn't use it. They could use some development still. Massey can work on the approach. Lofton, the same thing. Um, so maybe maybe one of those guys starts in because here's the deal. You have Hampson, too. And Hampson also plays second base. Right. And Hampson, yeah, Hampson also can play outfield and things like that. But now you have Adam Frazier, Hampson, 
Massey. You've got, you know, Samad is down there in AAA. I definitely expect him to stay there. You've got Lofton. Somebody, not all those guys can make the 26 man. And they're not going to put, they didn't sign Adam Frazier to put him in AAA. So I think you're going to, I think now I'm leaning more towards you're going to see Massey and or possibly both and or Lofton in AAA. And I'd be fine with that. I would be fine with Massey and Lofton, honestly, uh, starting in AAA and working on the things that they need to work on down there. Yeah, definitely. And it's not a bad thing to have those guys on deck in AAA, right? Like, now maybe one of them makes it. Maybe of those three, Massey, Lofton, and Taylor, one of them ends up in Major League Baseball and Frazier sits as like kind of a backup behind them or and it becomes real rotational or something like that. But I see Frazier as kind of insurance in case Massey or Lofton really makes no offensive progression and, you know, can't really handle being an everyday Major League player. Okay, Frazier, we kind of know that you can handle it, sort of, to some degree. And so, you know, he's in there instead, you know. That's kind of how I'm viewing Frazier. Now, what the Royals seem to be doing is leaning into the fact that they have young players who have options. If you have options, you can be stashed in AAA. You build a deep roster where you have guys who, when your guys get hurt, you can bring somebody up who's not going to be well below major league average. They're going to, or well below, like, replacement level even. And so, you know. Let's say Frazier starts out as the starting second baseman for some reason or something happens. And so he's the starting second baseman. If Lofton and Massey are stashed in AAA, if Frazier goes down or is ineffective or whatever, here comes Massey. Here comes Lofton. Like they have major league experience. Maybe they've made some progress, that sort of thing. Now, maybe it happens in the reverse way. Michael Massey plays great in spring training. It looks like he's a different hitter. He starts and Frazier's just a guy who's providing depth and Lofton gets traded at some point or something like that. I don't know. But you give yourself way more options by having a guy like Frazier on your team. Uh, might he get traded midseason? Sure, he might get traded at midseason because they found out that Massey and Lofton are both ready to be major leaguers. But if he doesn't, then at least you have that depth, if that makes sense. And good teams have depth. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Eric Oksher of West USA Realty. Phoenix has all of our favorite things. Year-round golf, year-round baseball, and Eric Oksher of West USA Realty. Whether you want to buy your dream retirement home or just stay a while and catch spring training, Eric can help you find the perfect house for you. We've known him for 30 years and trust him far more than we even trust each other. You remember that night I woke up to see you standing over me with a knife? Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like I'd lost the mayo. I was I was making a sandwich. You know, I was just making a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Eric does long-term rentals for the Snowbird crowd. <laughs> Eric does long-term rentals for the Snowbird crowd and home sales and purchases for those who want to stay a while longer. Are you a baseball parent or player who needs a place in the Phoenix area? Eric will find you the perfect spot fast. Want to spend your days shaking, shanking golf balls into the great beyond? Eric knows the golf scene like Mike knows the intricacies of the penal system. They say you should always hire a lawyer, but I just like to outsmart the cops by swallowing all the evidence. So they got nothing on me. Classic. That's a classic Mike move. Find Eric online at ericoxer.com if you can figure out how to spell his name. It's E-R-I-C-K-A-U-X-I-E-R.com. Or just shoot him a text at 480-383-9745. That's 480-383-9745. Even if you're just curious about what he can do for you, he's 100% no pressure, one of the best people we know. And he makes a mean chicken piccata. Occasionally, Mike and I decide that we've done enough work to make this podcast and turn creative direction over to the people. Like Bane. <laughs> he didn't actually turn it over to the people, okay? I don't point that out. Uh, but we are. 
We're well, actually turning it over. If you, he, he is the hero of that movie, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're getting into a dark place here. We're getting into a dark place. We're doing a mailbag episode where we take a stab at answering your questions about the Kansas City Royals. No, we can't tell you if they're going to win a World Series or hire Chris Getz as the next team president, probably. Uh, but we'll do our best to provide context, insight, knowledge, and a few tasteless jokes. Our first question comes from, we have a whole bunch of questions, by the way, just weekly weirdos really came through for us. This might take a while. Okay. We got a bunch of questions. Our first question comes from Sam Kernick on Twitter. Sean, he asks, Sean, I'm sorry, Sean Kernick, Sean Kernick on Twitter. Has the rotation improved enough for us to be competitive? Any updates on Pasquantino? Mike, what do you think about the rotation and whether or not it will make the Royals competitive? And I hate to start us off with this one because I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer here. Uh, the rotation, I think, still has to get pretty lucky with health outcomes and performance outcomes to be competitive for the division. But they will be in a lot more games. This this rotation is a lot better than last year's rotation. I, I fully believe that. If they're healthy and if they are the players that they were last year have been the last couple of years. Um, and I think that they can be, I just, it's still not a deep rotation and you never know. Like Lugo's got one year of starting of solid numbers starting. Waka has a couple, you know, in, in a row here now, but he had a stretch where he wasn't great either. And so, and you know, we love Cole Reagans, but he's got what? 15 starts of really good baseball in, in major league baseball and singer who the hell knows what's going on there. 12. He's got 12 starts. Yeah. I, I hate to be the Debbie downer, but this, this rotation could be as bad. It won't be as bad as last year, but they could be not what we all hoped they're going to be. Now everything turns out right. I think they compete for the division. Everything turns out right in this rotation. I think they compete for the division. Yeah, this question sort of depends on what you mean by competitive. If you mean compete for the division, then they do need things to go right, right? They need to get lucky with health and performance. But tell me what team doesn't, right? What team doesn't need most of their starters to stay healthy? What team doesn't need most of their starters to not regress massively or have a massively off the Dodgers. year? Uh, well, the Dodgers even need that <laughs> to some degree. I mean, you know, every nobody has 15 starters they're not, no, nobody's 15 starters deep. Okay. That just doesn't happen. And so, you know, yes, they need to get lucky. Yes. They need to all that sort of thing. They need all those things, but this team actually has the chance to be competitive. This team actually has a better chance to get that luck because they have more established players in the rotation. They have Michael Waka. They have Seth Lugo. They, they're giving themselves a better chance to be quote unquote lucky. If that makes sense. So yeah, I, I'm I'm like starting to convince myself that they may have a chance to challenge for the, this division, honestly. And part of that's what the Royals have done, and part of that's what the rest of the division hasn't done. Right? They just the rest of the division hasn't done that much to change or improve. Like some teams definitely haven't. Cleveland, the White Sox, they haven't done anything. Right? Detroit is really the only team that's done gotten any better this offseason. and so. We'll see. You know, I, I I don't want to be the type of person who's just been stung so bad by bad teams previously that I'm unwilling to give an objective uh, assessment of this team compared to others. If that makes sense. Uh, that part, that question did also ask about an update on Pasquantino. I'll just say this: the only update I have on Pasquantino is that he's ready to go. Right? Like he posts on Twitter Twitter quite a bit that he is excited for the season. We see him hitting in the cage all the time. He looks ready to go, so he should be fine. Next question comes from, thank you for that question, by the way, Sean. We really appreciate it. Uh, 
Next question comes from new Casey recap on Twitter. Uh, the question is what three players are you most excited to see in spring training? And could the two of you combined beat a hippo in a fight? This is a classic weekly weirdo question right here. I love it. Oh yeah. I, you know what? I must've been reading that wrong. Cause I read that second question. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but now it does. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And just, just l- we'll let this be a nice little uh, teaser preview for our uh, spring training coverage. Mike and I are both going to spring training again this year. Going to provide we- daily episodes from down there. We're staying for a little bit longer this time even too. And odds are we won't both get sick on our trip down there and both get hit by some massive disease that Mike essentially gave us all. But, you know, whatever. Plague. Um, so yes, who are we excited to see down in spring training? Mike, who are you most excited to see? Uh, three guys, and I know I've mentioned the first one already, but Daniel Lynch is the pitcher I'm most excited to see because last year uh, before spring training started or during spring training, I can't remember which one, uh, Andy Rogers put out a piece on what he was working on and stuff. And you and I were very heavy, heavily critical, not of the piece itself. She did a great job and always does, but um, of, of the fact that that's what he was working on. Um, and so I'm really interested to see what Nothing. Daniel Lynch, yeah, which <laughs> essentially was, I'm working on something that I'm, that doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, but I'm really excited to see what kind of a different pitcher Daniel looks, Daniel Lynch looks like in spring training, uh, whether the Royals have good depth in the rotation will largely depend on guys like Daniel Lynch and Hel Zerpa, you know, Viniciano, all those guys, they're stashing in triple a. And so, uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see Daniel Lynch because it's a, it's an important year for Daniel Lynch. It really is. And so uh, excited to see what he brings. Michael Garcia is also with all the hype that I've been hearing coming from the Dominican winter league. Uh, I gotta, I gotta see something from, from Michael I think Garcia. It's Ven- I think he's playing it. Oh, is he I in Venezuela? I think he's playing the Venezuelan winter league. I could be wrong, but oh, I think he's he? playing the okay. Venezuelan winter. League. Either way. I, I've seen so much stuff from that. The huge brawl thing after his home run the other day. Um, from what I've heard, it's a lot more, it's a little bit more loft and still hitting the ball pretty hard. So I want to see, I want to see what he brings to the table in year two. Um, I'd also like this. I'm, I'm a little interested to see his approach because I feel like throughout the, as the year went on last year, his approach got a little bit worse. So I want to see that kind of tick back up. And then Vinny, Vinny coming off the injury. Uh, does he still look like the Vinny Pasquantino that we, we think we really like? He made some changes before last year. And I don't know if those worked out quite the way that he was or in that short time that he had. And so I kind of want to see what he does coming off that injury as well. Oh, and could we beat a hippo in a fight? Yeah. Boy, that hippo don't know what's coming. We're Cheryl Meads kids. Come on. (laughs) Come on now. Uh, Michael Garcia is all on my list too, honestly. And for the exact same reasons, I've just seen a lot of video from his winter league performance. And I I noticed that his swing looks different and I want to see what that difference is doing for him in terms of the ability to elevate and, if he can do that, he takes the step forward offensively and becomes a different kind of ball player. And so I'm really excited about what that might look like. And so I'm, I'm psyched to see him in spring training. My other two guys are, are minor league guys. I'm excited to see Trevor Warner, not for the reason that you might think. Like, I'm not really interested in watching him hit. I know that he's going to be have a bunch of power and be in the cage and things like that. I'm not going to get to see too many of his games, probably. I'm really just looking to watch him take infield drills. I want to see what third base looks like for him. He had a bunch of errors in his uh, debut season and needs to get better defensively at third, but he has a cannon for a right arm. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm intrigued by what I see over there. So if he has the athleticism to stick and be at least an average third baseman, I think that could be really huge for his development as a player and his value. And so I'll be watching a lot of him at third base when I, when I go to the backfields with Mike. 
I'll also have my eyes peeled for Frank Mazzucato on the backfields because, and this is just based on one thing, somebody put out a photo the other day of Frank Mazzucato, and that dude looks significantly bigger than he did last year. And I'm a little bit intrigued by the fact that Frank Mazzucato might have put on a significant amount of muscle in the offseason. And if that's the case, I want to get a look at him, see how hard he's throwing, see what his stuff looks like. Uh, so I'm excited to see uh, see Frank Mazzucato as well. Uh, could we beat a, a hippo in a fight? Uh, absolutely not, obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think we could probably outrun it. <laughs> what kind of weapons really do I get? Yeah, no yeah, if way. I can have a gun. There is no way we're outrunning hippos. <laughs> don't they stay in the water? How, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about hippos. Anyway, know, next honestly. question comes from Jim on Twitter. Mike, is this your father-in-law? Is Jim sending us questions on Twitter? Uh, uh, I don't think so. I don't think he's on Twitter, but great name, Jim. J- great job, Jim. Uh, Jim on Twitter asks, I think this Frazier deal puts the Royals in serious contention for the central crown. What do you think, Mike? I, I don't think the Frazier deal does. <laughs> I don't think it was that that did it. Uh, and honestly, I don't know that they necessarily are. I don't, I don't know that the Frazier needle really, the Frazier move really moves the needle at all. For me, um, the, the interesting thing, though, is and I think this might be why it gives, you know, the idea that they might compete in the central. I think part of it is that the other teams haven't done much. But if you look at all the free agent picks that they've had, whether it's Waka, Lugo, Hampson, uh, Frazier, uh, Renfro, I feel like they're guys whose floor is a little higher than a lot of the guys whose place at bats they're probably going to be taking a little bit more consistency from these players or in Renfro's case, maybe it's a little bit of a bounce back thing, but you know, you know what you're getting with Frazier, you know, pretty much what you're getting with Waka. You think, you know what you're getting in Lugo, uh, same with like Will Smith. And even those guys, the, even the bullpen guys, like I feel like they said, we're not going to go with guys who have a phenomenal week and three bad weeks. We'll take four average weeks over that all day long. And so they went with a lot of guys that you can really count on and are more consistent because they want to be in games, you know? And so I think they're going to be in a lot of games. It just depends on, can they make the play to pull it out at the end? Can they have the bullpen that, that, that stops people? Um, I think there's still some real big questions on that, but uh, I don't think Frazier's deal really puts them over the top or anything. I think it's just part of that plan. Get more guys in with higher floors and you're going to be more consistent. Right. It doesn't move the mini needle a ton, but that's sort of, they're operating from a theory that I really like and find very interesting. That's like baseball is about depth. Baseball is about the bottom of your roster. Let's drastically improve the bottom of our roster. Let's drastically overhaul our roster for depth. And that's what they've done. And the great thing about doing that as the team that they currently are is, all of these deals like Frazier and Renfro and even Waka and Will Smith and those, all of those deals can instantly basically be turned into prospect capital at the trade deadline. So what they could also be doing here is hedging their bet like, hey, if we're not competitive, if we spent all this money this offseason to you know just be a 72-win team, guess what? We have now found a way to replenish our farm system as well. We're going to trade Will Smith. We're going to trade Chris Stratton. We're going to trade Renfro. We're going to trade Frazier. We're going to look to trade Waka. All these sort of things. Those are all options, and they can get a huge haul back at the deadline if they want to. That is an option on the table if they want to take that option. So we'll see on that. Interestingly, it's whether or not they're competitive for the division, they've put themselves in a really good position, whether they go for the division or whether they're just looking to turn around a very weak organization and very weak farm system. 
Our next question comes from Tom Timmons on Twitter. Uh, with a lot of talent left on the board, who is one free agent you think Kansas City could make a late push for? Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I don't think this is, honestly, I don't think it's going to be any of them. I, I looked through the list. I, I do like yours was probably the one I thought the most of, and I'll let you talk about that. But one that I thought was super interesting that I think is a huge long shot is, uh, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, he's technically a starting pitcher, but he's had some work in the bullpen too. I think the Royals might use him in more of a swing man thing. Um, but I'd be interested to see him. Uh, he used to pitch for the Tigers. Uh, he's been pretty consistent for several years when he's healthy, when he's healthy, he's been very consistent between three and a half and a four and a half ERA. Um, but again, it's the health thing and it hasn't been big time health stuff, although he did have a shoulder thing that, that took him out, I think in 21 for quite a, a long time. But, um, yeah, I, I, it would be interesting if, if the market for him isn't great, then maybe you look at that, but I think there's going to be somebody who gives him a chance to start. Uh, which honestly, if uh, honestly, if he comes in, he probably gets the fifth spot and you're kicking Lyles to the, to the swingman guy, to be honest with you, uh, unless you have a concern about his health. So, uh, yeah, I, Michael Lorenzen is still interesting to me that he's still out there. Yeah. I don't think that there is anyone that they would make a late push for unless that person is maybe a bullpen guy, right? Maybe a bullpen guy. I mean, I think they might do like some minor league bullpen deals and stuff like that. But the only guy I think would even have or the guy who would have the most the closest chance, though, I think this is unlikely as well, is Ryan Stanek, uh, a guy who has history with Matt Quotero from Tampa Bay, a guy who is drawing a lot of interest as a bullpen pitcher, as a reliever. It won't happen, but the Royals have a bullpen that sets up like with some guys right now in McMillan in MacArthur and Angel Zerpa and a couple other guys who have options and they could easily store in AAA, move up and down, that sort of thing. And so Stanek makes a little bit of sense if they want to do something like that. But honestly, I think they're they're done making free agent moves at this point. Next question comes from Chance Winchester on Twitter. I think he asked us a question in our last mailbag, honestly. Um, the question is, what player or players do you see us trading and getting the most out of this season at the trade deadline? Mike, what are your thoughts on who might get moved uh, in, in July if the Royals aren't, aren't competitive? <clears throat> yeah, I had to put a note on this. Chance, this was a great question and so hard to think about because there's just so many variables. You know, if guys are really performing, are we winning? <laughs> and so, like, what kind of value do you get? You don't want to trade a guy away if you're competitive. And really, the, the thing that makes it so difficult is that the Central doesn't look like it's going to be that good. You know, so it may not take much to win the Central. And so that's what kind of makes this really tough. But I'm going to go with Michael Walker because there's always such a high demand for starting pitching at the trade deadline. I think, of course, the the 1A is is Waka to me, but 1B is, is Hunter Renfro. If Hunter Renfro comes out and he's bashing baseballs, the other thing that's really hard to find at the deadline a lot of times is power bats. And so, you know, Renfro go be a DH for some team that's making a playoff run. And if he's clubbing baseballs, then there's a good chance he get moved, gets moved since he's basically on a one-year deal, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, it was one year with a second-year player option on him. And so, uh, yeah, I think one of those guys is likely to go at the deadline, which is good because if they're, if they're going, they're probably performing. And if those guys are performing, there's a chance you can get something for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously all the guys on basically one-year deals or some kind of one-year deal uh, are options to get moved at the deadline. So Waka, Renfro, Frazier, Hampson, a few others. Will, Will Smith, obviously Chris Stratton is, I think, on a two-year deal. 
uh, but he would still be an option for trading because that extra year will just give you more value. And so you could get more in return. I think a sneaky guy, a guy to keep your eye on who could be a trade candidate at the deadline is Brady Singer. Honestly, they talked about him at this year's deadline uh, as, as a trade candidate because he's about to hit arbitration because, you know, he, he's valuable. He's a starting pitcher and that's valuable to some people. And I think sometimes the Royals are get a little frustrated at his unwillingness to adapt, to change, to, to add pitches, that sort of thing. And they're like, we can, we can do without Brady Singer. Let's move on. Right. And so other teams might find him valuable. Other teams might be willing to take him on. They might be looking to trade him. And it's, it's part of the Rays model often that they move on from guys who are hitting arbitration if they're going to be making big money in arbitration. And Singer is probably going to make pretty significant money in arbitration because he has so much playing experience in that time. And so he's played a lot of games. He started a lot of games. He's had some success in the major leagues. That's going to push his arbitration number up. And if they're like, we don't want to pay that for Brady Singer, trade him. Some other team might be willing to. Drew Waters is another candidate to me who might be a, a potential trade piece at the deadline if he has a good first half. They might be thinking something like along those lines because their outfield is so crowded. This comes from J. Next question comes from JDC on Twitter. Which guys do you expect, he puts in quotes, to one, hit 15 home runs and two, steal 15 bases? Mike, I think we'll both have very similar answers here. Go with yours. Yeah. Uh, first, JDC is an, is an old school, an OG weirdo. So thanks for all the love, uh, JDC. Um, mm-hmm. I put these guys for 15 home runs. Bobby, I think that's an obvious one. Sal, Velasquez, Melendez, and Vinny. I think those five guys, there were a couple guys I was like, eh, maybe. Oh, I also have Michael. Michael, I, I believe in, he's going to get like right at 15, maybe 16 or 17. Um, stolen bases was a little bit tougher. I went with Bobby, Michael, and uh, Dyron Blanco. Uh, you're, I know you've got a few more guys than I do, but I like I like my list. I'm, I'm always the pessimist. Yeah, you are. I, I put Massey on the home run list too. I think he could crack 15 just because we can see him put the ball out occasionally. I mean, he does have that pull power. I mean, how many did he have last year? He had like 10 to 12. I just wasn't last sure how year. much he was, how many plate appearances he was yeah, going to get. And we, we can't know that for how any of these guys, really. I mean, for some of these guys anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, but I'm going to throw him on there. I also put Fermin on there. I think he'll get enough plate appearances and he hit some home runs last year. So I just throw him on there. Um, I forgot to put Vinny on my list. <laughs> Not because I don't think he's going to get it, but I just forgot about him. Um, but my stolen base list does have one more number than yours. I put Bobby, Michael, and Blanco as well. Even if Blanco doesn't get a ton of playing time, I think he'll play enough to steal 15 bags. He steals the base every time not, he goes in. It's not that hard. Every time he gets yeah. on base, he steals at least one, sometimes two. And so, <laughs> you know, Blanco, I think, is a really good chance. I put Isbell on there as well because I think Isbell will get enough playing time and he's an opportunistic nope. base stealer. He's not overly fast, but he does take a bag opportunistically every now and again. And so I think he could make it to 15 as well. Those are, those I don't are think my he's list. that good at it. I don't, I don't think he's that good at stealing bases. I think he's a good base runner. I don't think he's all that good at stealing bases. And I think the Royals are going to, you know, kind of slow him down. I don't think they're going to let him run as much. So uh, we'll see on Isbell. We'll do over under 15. You can buy me a Coke when you lose. Okay. You'd like you even drink Coke that doesn't have whiskey in it. Um, okay. Next question comes from, I, I, I think it's called, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Snydro is, is how you pronounce it. Snydro on Twitter. Um, it says, will Royals still platoon at DH? What would that mean for Salvi at catching? Is he good enough to be a full-time DH? Mike, what are your thoughts about the Royals and what they're going to do with the DH position? Yeah. Here's the thing. There's Salvi really likes playing. 
And so he's going to try and be in every single day in one way or another. So I think we see a heavy rotation at DH like they've done for the last couple of years. It's a little harder this year because you have you have several guys who aren't great defensively. Really a triad. And it's not that Vinny is bad defensively. He's just not good either. He's, he's very average at first base. And then Renfro and Velasquez are probably negatives in the outfield. So, um, but I do think it's going to be, I do think it's going to be a heavy rotation. The, the crazy thing is I think we're going to see some left-handed bats get in there at DH that we're not expecting on days when they want to play heavy defense and there's a righty going. And so Melendez is the guy I, I expect to see some time at DH that people aren't really thinking about now. Um, you know, so because I think at some point they're going to go maybe with a with an Isbell Hampson uh, Waters outfield or something, and Melendez ends up DHing, so that we get a left-handed bat in there or something like that. So uh, yeah, I do think there's going to be a lot of rotation. I think Salvi is good enough to be a DH full time, and I think the time is coming for that to happen at some point. For example, I I think if the Royals traded him, there's a better chance that he becomes a DH full time. Um, and so and I think that will happen at some point but it's just not, I don't think it's this year. The question, is he good enough to be a DH full-time, really is a question of comparing him to the alternatives. And so, is he good enough on the Royals roster to be a DH full-time? Probably, because they don't have a ton of options for for hitters that sort of give you the power profile of a DH. They really have the offensive upside of a guy like Salvador Perez. Is he good enough to be a full-time DH that teams actually want? No, right? There aren't that many of those guys. Teams really like to have that DH as a rotational spot because it allows them to match up that DH against whoever's pitching. And so they can say, oh, we have three guys on our bench. We're going to optimize that DH spot and we're going to play this guy against this type of pitcher and that guy against that type of pitcher and really get the most out of that DH spot. Unless you're a DH like Manny Ramirez was when he was a DH. Jordan Alvarez is in his prime, although he plays some outfield too, right? Unless you're that kind of hitter, you are really not DH material because a, a combination of guys will most likely be better than you are at DH, if that makes sense. Now, I think that's fine. I think that's a good plan. Salvi will still rotate into that DH role a lot. On his days off, he will still DH a lot. And so I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. I don't think Melendez is going to DH as much as you think. I think Melinda, I think, I think conspiracy theory time. I think <laughs> here it comes <laughs> that the reason we haven't heard from him, the reason we haven't heard from him all winter is they're hiding him in like Miami in a, in a facility, just hitting him fly balls every single day. <laughs> I think that's what's happening right now. Call me crazy. I have no evidence to base it on, but uh, that's good enough for the internet. Right. Make me a tinfoil hat. Cause <laughs> I got a plan. Next question comes from uh, Instagram instead of Twitter. This is from KC Royals Loyal on Instagram. My, and it just says, Mikel to, Mikel to second base, yay or nay? Mike, what are your thoughts on Mikel Garcia moving to second base? Nay. Uh, nay, because I don't think the Royals want to do it. Uh, it is an interesting thing to me and has been. Even last year, I was thinking about this a lot. The, the, the trick is there isn't anybody to come in at third base if you move him to second base. That's really the whole thing. Um his defense plays better at third base because he's such a phenomenal defender there. Anybody you put there outside of him, not only isn't going to be able to do what he does defensively, they probably aren't going to be able to do what he does offensively either. And uh, yeah, now if Lofton comes out and he's showing a lot 
and Massey isn't, then maybe you see a Michael Garcia migra- slow migration to second base and Lofton coming in to play third more. But I don't think the Royals are going to give up that level of defense on the infield to uh, to try and get somebody in at third base like Lofton because I don't know that they know what he's going to bring offensively. And they and even defensively, he's not going to bring what Michael Garcia does. You know, you're getting average to slightly maybe below average defense there. So uh, maybe, maybe above average. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. No. Yeah, I, I would say like ideally, yeah, I would love Michael Garcia to second base. But what that would mean is they need to have an alternative for third base who can actually produce offensively and that sort of thing, which right now they really don't have. And so I think it would be great if that were the case, because then you improve your offense at second, your defense stays really, really good at second, and maybe you improve your your offense at third base, but they don't have that guy right now. And so right now, Michael Garcia playing third, Massey playing second or Frazier or whoever seems like the best combination of what they can get. But I'm not, you know, keeping Michael Garcia to second base out of my mind because I think maybe Caden Wallace or maybe they go out and find somebody at third base who's a, a better option at, at some point. There's not a, a, there are futures that have Michael Garcia playing f- second base for the Royals in them. The question is, will they come to fruition? I'm not really sure. My crystal ball is broken. So the, our final question comes from a friend of ours. Uh, Jacob Milham, who is the host of the Royals Rundown podcast, he threw us out a, a question on threads because Mike went out there and, and, and solicited some questions on threads as well. Good job, Mike. Getting to the threadsies. Uh, this is a great question. Uh, it's a, Jacob asks, what is an underrated metric that you use to evaluate pitchers and batters? Mike, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, I'm an oldie here. So I'm, you know, this sounds like, you know, old man screaming in a cloud like I miss the good old days at least for pitchers for me, because I still like whip as like, as like the first place I go, you know, I like to go and look at a pitcher's whip because ultimately how many guys are you letting on base? You know, and that, that I always think that's a good indicator for me. Okay. How many guys did you walk? How many hits did you give up? You know, I'll, I'll and then I go into other things, but the first thing I'm looking for is what does the guy's whip look like? Is it in the 1.2s? All right. Yeah. Yippee. Is it in the 1.4s or the 1.5s? Uh, you know, so I'm looking there first, probably that's one that, I guess a lot of people have now moved on from, but I'm still a whip guy. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike, I'm going to record that and just put it on keep my, it, my phone as your, as your ringtone. It's just, every time you call me, it's just going to go, I'm still a whip guy <laughs> in the bedroom. Uh, no, uh, for hitters. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Uh, for hitters, I go with hard hit rate is the one I, go, I start with because, uh, and that's one that I think a lot of people use. So it's not going to, I don't know if it's an underrated metric, but uh, it's the one that I go to most because I feel like that one measures the, it measures the process to me so much better. You know, um, it, it, if you can consistently hit the ball hard, you should have success to me. You know, I, I realize there can be problems with launch angle and things like that, but guys who hit the ball hard do well. And so I, I try to look at that first. Every once in a while, you have a guy who has a really high hard r- r- hit rate that doesn't have success or maybe doesn't have as much as he should. We talked about Michael Garcia with that uh, earlier uh, in the winter. But um, yeah, that's my kind of my go-to, just my starting point, if you will. Yeah, those both make sense to me. I use both of those quite frequently. Uh, I don't know that I would call hard hit underrated at this point. Whip probably still is though. Or whip was probably underrated at this point because people are now overlooking it. But that's I was always I was struggling with this question because it's hard to know what's underrated. I, I don't know what other people use. I know what I use, um, and I know what sort of gets talked about in the uh, 
deep cut analytics conversation related to baseball. But, uh, you know, it's hard to know what the general public considers overrated. But I'm going to pull out one that I think, uh, like whip, is maybe used to be a lot more valued than it is now. Um, and that's ground ball rate. I, I look at ground ball rate for pitchers quite a bit. I mean, obviously, I look at their movement metrics and things like that. Those are some deep cut stuff that people look at. But ground ball rate is one that I think people overlook quite a bit. And it's interesting to me because ground ball rate is a good way to sort of look at and and think about a pitcher who is not going to be an ace, right? Like ground balls to some degree hurt you less than line drives and fly balls. And so if you have the capacity to get a bunch of ground balls, it usually means you have the capacity to live in home runs. And it usually means you can get stay away from the worst possible outcomes that pitchers can have. And as a result, you can do things like not have a stellar strikeout rate, right? And so ground ball rate for me is a, is a metric that I go to when I'm trying to think about or evaluate guys who are not going to be aces of staffs, if that makes sense. And so this offseason, when I was looking at free agent starting pitchers, I paid attention to ground ball rates. I paid attention to Martin Perez's ground ball rate, Seth Lugo's ground ball rate, and all these other different guys' ground ball rates. And that's why I was thinking, okay, they're probably going to go for sort of a mid-range back-end guy. So what do these ground ball rates look like? You know, When it comes to hitters, uh, I look at a lot of batted ball metrics probably more than some people do, uh, especially things like line drive rate and sweet spot percentage. If you know what sp- sweet spot percentage is, it's it's a metric that uh, Baseball Savant uses that essentially measures how frequently somebody hits it within a, what they consider an optimal launch angle, which I think is like eight degrees to 35 degrees or something like that. And how frequently they do that tells you a lot about like, the success that they can have. The reason I look at that percentage and line drive percentage and things like that is because if you don't have an, uh, an excessively good hard hit rate, having a high sweet spot rate or a high line drive rate is the only way you can have success. Right? So uh, we talked about Whit Merrifield for years and years and years did not hit the ball very hard, but he had a t- really high line drive rate. And so he could be somewhat successful, very successful even as a hitter. And so those are some metrics that I kind of look at. They're a little bit overlooked, a little bit underrated. Uh, So I I think a little bit about those. And also something like sweet spot percentage can tell you what a player might need to work on or improve. If you have a really good sweet spot percentage, but you don't hit the ball very hard, it becomes pretty clear why you're not having success offensively. You need to hit the ball harder. You need to get more bat speed or whatever, you know, like, and so these different things can tell you uh, a lot more about a player. And sometimes they're overlooked by people. Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. The military tried to take her blood to make super soldier juice. Needles just kept breaking on her skin. Yeah. The excellent specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. I'd like to meet the fool dumb enough to approach my mother with a needle. You're a brave man. (laughs) Yeah. Can't beat him. He's dead. Uh, All in physical therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lisa its own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All in Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-P-T.com. 
With all the roster additions for the Royals at the Major League level, Mike and I have been wanting to have a conversation about what these moves mean for some players who are close to making their big league debuts. Tyler Gentry and Will Klein. Both were added to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft this year, which makes it more likely that they're going to see Major League time in 2024, but the Royals have added players in the bullpen and the outfield, complicating their paths. Mike, for our listeners who don't know, just give us a quick breakdown of who Tyler Gentry and Will Klein are. Um, Well, Gentry is a corner outfielder, exploded onto the prospect scene a couple years ago with a massive year. And I think it was mostly in double A, but a little bit, maybe a little high A2 in there. Great walk rate and and strikeout numbers. He takes a really competent at bat. That's kind of why he's your boy and you like him so much. Um, I don't know that he has one explosive tool or like scouts sometimes call a carrying tool, but it's a a lot of solid tools. And so he hits the ball hard enough. He takes the great approach. He's a solid, if not spectacular outfielder. Um, And so, yeah, he's, he's, Seems like a guy who could be a solid contributor, like a David DeJesus level, probably with a little more pop than DeJesus had, but um, that level of player. Klein is a flame-throwing righty reliever who has had control issues at times. Uh, so big, big 100-mile-an-hour fastball and uh, sometimes can't uh, tell where it's going. So, But both those guys at some point could be valuable pieces. Yeah, Gentry, if he had a carrying tool, it would actually probably be his approach at the plate. Uh, they don't call that a tool yeah. in, in scouting terms, but that is the thing that will give him a chance to be successful in Major League Baseball. Uh, let's start with Gentry. I think he, the consensus is that he's the most ready of those two to make a Major League debut. What do you think Gentry's path is to the majors at this point? Well, this is really tough, and I, I feel bad in a sense for Tyler Gentry, but it's a crowded outfield, you know, especially on the corners. And so I don't necessarily see a path to the majors right now for him. Now, after the trade deadline, if we deal away guys like Hunter Renfro or maybe a Drew Waters or something, both or something like that, if a spot is cleared up at some point in the outfield on the corners, Gentry is the guy, but it's not, it's not a great chance that he gets early playing time this year. I, I think you see him at some point just because of attrition and because of, you know, trades after the deadline. But it worries me that he's going to come up and, and not see a lot of playing time at some point. Yeah, I think his best bet is to just sort of have a really hot start and force the Royals to make some trades, right? It makes sense for the Royals. If Gentry comes out and he's hitting 380, 500, 650 at the, you know, two months in, they can start thinking, okay, we got to trade. Hunter Renfro at the deadline because we got a guy who's ready to take one of these outfield spots, right? Like that you can't keep that guy down for much longer. Right. And so, you know, that's his best, best path to the major leagues. He can wait it out, wait for them to trade some guys to the deadline maybe, but he's got to go out there and really push the envelope and have a great opening to the season and prove to the Royals that they need to get rid of some outfield guys so he can make his debut uh, in the corner. Do you think Gentry is a, is a candidate to make a fairly smooth transition to the major majors, Mike? Well, normally, I would say yes, because I think the thing that smooths the transition for hitters is that great approach, and he's got that. The problem is, I think, I worry, and I think this may be the case, I think he comes up and doesn't get consistent playing time. And so if that ends up happening, then I worry about him making the transition to a tough Major League Baseball, because the jump is very difficult. 
Okay. The jump is even more difficult if you make the jump and then you're playing once or twice a week instead of regularly. And so that's the big worry that I have. Normally I would say, Hey, it's got a great approach that should stick. Those, those don't go in slumps, but that's the, I kind of worry about the inconsistent playing time. I would have had a similar worry two years ago in the Dayton Moore era when we saw Kyle Isbell have that problem when they would bring him up and he'd spend a month in the major leagues playing once or twice a week. And that, that was a bad thing to do for his development. But I have more faith in this front office and more faith in this coaching staff that they're going to, if they bring a guy up, they're going to do it with the intention of putting him in to play. Right. And so they don't bring guys up unless they're forced to in some way. So like injury, sometimes they brought up some odd Taylor a little bit because they had no choice. They needed him for certain things. But if you're ready to play, I think they're bringing you up with the intention that you're going to play enough so that it doesn't hurt your development in some way. So I, I trust this uh, this front office and this coaching staff more than I would have previously. So I think his transition will be fairly smooth as far as these things go because he does have that excellent plate appearance, uh, that excellent ability to approach at the plate. I think it would look a little bit similar to a Vinny Pasquantino where he sort of made a fairly smooth transition and leaned heavily on his good approach to create good outcomes right away. What about Klein? Pitching is far more injury prone and, and relievers are notoriously volatile. Do you think that he has the possibility of having an earlier debut than maybe we suspect? Um, I think there's a small chance that we, we see Klein early, but I do think it would be as a result of injuries, um, which, which, hey, in a bullpen, those can happen in bunches. And so, uh, yeah, it's possible. And, and or if you see... The, the, the thing that makes that tough is they're going to keep Matt Sauer in that bullpen. And so there's one spot gone. They have John McMillan, who has a very similar profile to Will Klein. They have Steven Cruz even, who has a similar profile. So I don't, I think they're going to protect him a little bit, keep him in AAA, let him work on his command, see if they can't figure out the uh, pitch mix and things like that, that work the absolute best for Will Klein. And then I think you see him probably later in the year, I think it, as long as there's not big time injury problems, I think you probably see him closer to be like, hey, you've done well in AAA this year. September comes. You're definitely, you know, the one or two guys that we get in, in September. I could see that coming for Will Klein, especially when uh, they need arms. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Klein in uh, September makes a whole lot of sense to me, especially when the rosters expand to 28. Like, I think no matter what, you'll probably see Klein in September. That that makes a lot of sense, unless he's hurt or unless he has a blow up or something. Um, I think there's a good chance that you see him later this season, especially because there's a really good chance they move some of these relievers at the deadline. There's a good chance Will Smith is gone. There's a decent chance Stratton is gone. There's a decent chance that Sauer doesn't stick with the team throughout the whole year. Right. He ends up back, you know, back with the previous team that happens all the time. And so we'll see on that front. But Klein, a guy who, you know, at least the path forward seems like it makes a little more sense than with the with the gentry path, which is like, man, there are like 12 outfielders vying for three spots here. You know, like, and so we'll see on that one. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with the Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball over the course of the last week. We haven't had an episode for a month, so Mike, you have a whole bunch of stuff to pick from. I feel like you're still going to go with the two-foot putt, though, so go ahead, Mike. Take the easy road. Take the the short and quick path out. Uh, what are those? You should have those inspirational posters made up where you just talk about being lazy. Like, when in doubt, be lazy or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to go with the slam dunk here. All right. And I'm not ashamed to admit it because somebody has to talk about this because it is it's it's somewhat unprecedented, guys. 
we watched the greatest football team in the country, in the world, play today, go out and be underdogs and win in a hostile environment. Okay. Mark and I were born in Kansas City. We, we weren't raised here, but we were born here. Have a, we've always had a lot of ties to the Kansas City area, even when we lived in, in our hometown. Um, we we drudged through the Tyler Thigpen, Brody Croyle, you know, the I remember getting super hyped for guys like Sylvester Morris and, uh, you know, Tyler Palco, Tyler Palco. Yeah. Yeah. He got some starts for this team. My God, the, the Damon Heward days and things like that. So we, you know, and if you're, if you're older than us, if you were alive when the chiefs were, were playing in the eighties, that was even worse. Probably they were terrible in the eighties. And so, you know, to have the best football player at their position, possibly all time, two guys, at the same time, and, and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, I am so grateful that my son will get to watch that. I am so grateful that I get to watch that and that the greater Kansas City area gets to participate in those things and and every game. I mean, my wife, who doesn't like sports and hates that I love football so much, watched the game with me today. And so, you know, it can bring, it can bring a community together. It's been so awesome watching them. We're going to the Super Bowl again, again. It's like just schedule the damn thing for us every year because I want that trophy again, and uh, let's keep rolling. You hear that, Chiefs? You're bringing families together. But no, Mark, go with your go with your deep cut, depressing garbage that you always go. No, with. no, my go, pick. Go. No, my pick isn't depressing. That's Read right, the baby. <laughs> Inspirational stuff. <laughs> and you always is, talk my about pick how is lighthearted and funny. So, Mark, tell us. Uh uh-uh, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about the the excellent film Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, and here's why. I watched it last night. It is a phenomenal film. Riggs, my partner, who this movie came out. Well, I guess this movie probably came out before I was born even. Uh, but uh, she had never seen it. It came out well before she was born. Uh, and so she had never seen it. So we sat down and watched it last night. And man, I'm just reminded of what a banger this movie is. <laughs> there are so many jokes in this movie that just hit so hard. You know what's crazy? What? How young Eddie Murphy was when 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop came out. I made that point last he night. Was, he, he was like nine, He was 19 when he, I think he started on Saturday Night Live. The guy is, we don't talk about him enough as one of the greatest actors, not just comedic actors, one of the greatest actors of all time. Yeah, he is amazing. And what's amazing about rewatching a movie like this is you forget that there are like jokes sort of subtly patched, like subtly placed in there. Obviously there are iconic scenes in it, right? The art gallery scene that he has with, um, I don't know the actor's name, but he plays Serge, Serge. You got to play Serge? Just kills me. It killed me. I was dying <laughs> laughing at this scene. It was so funny. And then you have to really tell a joke. Just the two of them interacting is hilarious, right? And so like that, that scene was a banger, but sometimes he just like slips in. So when he throws in that line, the super cop story was working. I died. I just died laughing. Like, like I could not. It was just so funny. I gotta go watch it again. Oh, it's I gotta on. Go, I gotta go back. I want to say it's on Netflix. Uh, uh, I'm gonna see if she'll watch the second one with me too. Uh, but like, what a great movie! They they're coming out with a fourth one. FYI. They, he's like doing like ever since he like yeah, did the sequel for scary. Coming to America. He's got this contract or this deal with Netflix, and so he's putting out like. Uh, sequels of his old hits. I'll watch it. I don't care. The third one was bad, but I don't care. I'll watch it uh, just to see what it's like. Anyway, if you get a chance, if you've never seen Beverly Hills Cop, absolutely go see it, right? Absolutely see it. But if you have, fantastic. watch it. It's so good. It will not miss. 
it will not miss, especially after a hard day when you're like, I can't take anything that's like heavy or anything like that. Go watch Beverly Hills Cop. You'll feel a hundred times better after you watch it. And the beginning's kind of heavy. It is, but they move on from that guy's murder real quick. (laughs) Honestly, I just rewatched it. I was like, okay, he's like 30 seconds after that dude gets murdered. He's like laughing in, in, in Beverly Hills. Like it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, so yeah, all the, all the heavy stuff gets moved on from very quickly. I promise. I'll tell you what else is going to happen very quickly. Pitchers and catchers are going to report very quickly. It's two weeks until that happens. Can't wait for the upcoming season. Can't wait to see you all again. We're not going to wait a whole month. We're going to come back again in a couple of weeks when we're about to kick off spring training with our next episode. That's when we'll have big announcements for you. That's when we'll start off uh, our regular programming. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. Go Royals.